0: Hi folks, we want to welcome you to our adult Sunday school time, and we are in our final lesson today through our series, Days of the King, as we've been looking at First and 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. In fact, last week we finished up 2 Samuel, and we really only have about seven chapters to look at today. That's a lot, if you think about it. Seven chapters to finish up 1 Chronicles, and so we're in lesson 28 And we're entitling this section of 1 Chronicles, Preparations for the Temple. And so we're going to look at some things that King David is doing, that he's setting in motion for the building of the temple. If you remember when we looked back at David's desire for the temple in the past, when he was told not to do it, he determined at that time that he would make the preparations for the temple to prepare his son to build the temple because the Lord said that his son would build it. So we're going to look at that today as well as wrap up 1 Chronicles and what it says about King David's life. So let's get right into it. We're going to really pick up where we left off last week. Where we left off last week was the whole issue of the census and the judgment because of the census and then God relenting, David going to the threshing floor and that is there in Jerusalem, owned by a Jezebite, and he buys it because there is the angel of the Lord, and he makes sacrifices there. And if you remember, at the end of last week, David didn't go to the tabernacle because he was afraid of going there. He was afraid of the angel of the Lord. He was afraid of getting killed. So he began to make sacrifices at this threshing floor because God responded to him there by stopping the plague that was killing the people in Israel from Dan to Beersheba. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off with chapter 22 and David makes a proclamation. So David proclaimed that the threshing floor would be the site of the temple and the altar. The altar here is referring to the altar of burnt offering. Now, I need to remind you again, because you're saying to yourself, well, wait a minute, George. He's got the Ark of the Covenant with him. Isn't that where the temple was supposed to be? Or isn't that where the tabernacle is? No, the tabernacle was in Gibeon. But you remember, David brought... The Ark, from where it was, remember when it left, when we were looking through 1 Samuel, when it left the Philistines, it went to one household, but those folks weren't doing right with it, and they were struck, so it went to another household, probably of a Levite, and that family cared for the Ark until David came and brought it to Jerusalem. And what he does is he set up a tent for it in Jerusalem where he would meet with God. Now, that was not the tabernacle. We would assume that it was the tabernacle, thinking that because he had set up this tent, that that's what's going on there. But no, the tabernacle with the table of showbread and all of that was in Gabeah. So now David is saying that the site of the temple is going to be this property, this threshing floor that he bought from this Jezebite. So, he proclaims that this is the site of the temple. Now, he goes on then and really talks about his plans for the temple. So, David made preparations for his son to build the temple. The text will tell you that here in chapter 22, in those first 19 verses, that he's making the preparations for the temple to be built by his son. Now, What does he do to make these preparations? Well, it says that he gathered from the aliens, he gathered stonemasons from the aliens in Israel to cut stones for the temple. Now, aliens is a term that's used in the Old Testament to refer to non-Jews, Gentiles, who are living among God's people, Israel. They are not God's people, that is, they're not Jews, they're not proselytes, but rather they are peoples who are living among God's people in Israel. For instance, the Jezebite who sold David the threshing floor. So what he does is he goes and he gathers from among them skilled workers, stonemasons, to begin cutting stones for the temple. And we're not just talking bricks here, folks. We're talking huge stones. They were to quarry them and get them ready for the building of the temple. That's not all he does in preparation. He gathered an abundance of iron, bronze, and silver, excuse me, cedar from Sidon. The cedar would be from Sidon for the temple. So basically, he's gathering all of the materials that are needed to build this temple, so he's getting the stonemasons to cut the stone. He's gathering an abundance of iron. He's gathering an abundance beyond measure, is what the text says, of bronze, and he's also gathering cedar from Sidon for the temple. Okay, for the temple. He goes on then, and he gave char- he gave charge to Solomon his his son Solomon, to build the temple. So he gave charge to Solomon to build the temple. So he's basically saying, Solomon, you're the one who's going to do this. You're the one who is going to do this. Now, as we go along here, now listen, history, the scripture gives credit to Solomon building the temple. And we say it's Solomon's temple. But folks, what you're going to see from these chapters is that what Solomon built was designed by David. And David made the preparation for it, the financing of it, the gathering of the materials for it, everything that was needed for the temple was given to him by his father, David. And David is saying, Solomon, you are the one who is to build this temple. So, David stated that the Lord would not let David build because his hands were bloody from war. Now, this is interesting. When you go to 2 Samuel and it talks about his desire, by the Lord, go back, tell him, no, it's not to be him. This is the chapter concerning the Davidic covenant. I will build the temple, the temple will be built by your son, and then he makes this Davidic covenant with David. Okay, that's really right before the whole problem starts with the chapter with regards to the issue of the sin with Bathsheba and uh, the death of Uriah. And, of course, from that goes through all the history of the problems that we saw there. Well, here in Chronicles, Samuel didn't tell us why God said no. But when we get to Chronicles, David is flat out saying the reason why I am not allowed to build this temple is because the Lord said my hands were bloody from war. Now, there's going to be two different places in these last seven chapters where he stresses that point. Because he had shed blood, God could not allow him to build this temple. You know, somebody said to me today as we were talking about that, they said, well, that seems kind of odd because he did what God told him to do. He did, you know, the wars and stuff that he told him to do. And I thought, yeah, that's true. However, for instance, remember... Saul offered him the hand of his daughter, Michal, only if he brought, really, the body parts of 100 Philistines. David said, okay, I'll go do that. What does David do? He kills 200 Philistines, brings their body parts for the hand of Saul's daughter. He went beyond what he was told to do. His hands were bloody. And because of that, he could not build the temple could not build the temple so david then scripture tells us here asked the lord to give solomon wisdom in building the temple so david's asking god you give him the wisdom to build this we see that several times in this passage david also commanded the elders of israel the leaders of israel to assist solomon in building the temple So Solomon can't just build it on his own. He's going to need a leadership structure. He's going to need the support of the leaders in building this project. And that's kind of the way it is with any kind of project, even in a church. You can't build anything in a church or do something in a church without the support of the leadership. And especially a big undertaking like building a temple, he needs the leaders to be with him. And David is commanding the elders, to assist Solomon in building the temple. Now, we come then to a major section of First Chronicles, which is chapters 23 through chapters 26. Very similar to the first eight chapters in 1 Chronicles where it listed different tribes and the people within the different tribes and so forth. Now we're going to see really the listing and the structuring of the Levites. So, I want you to note that at the beginning of this section in chapter 23, the chronicler records that David made his son Solomon king over Israel. So, right off the bat, we see chapter 23 that David makes his son Solomon king over Israel. Now, that's all it says. Now, when we get to 1 Kings, which we're going to start into 1 Kings next week. When we get the first kings, you're going to see that fleshed out. You're going to see the writer of kings fleshing out the whole thing and the whole manner in which Solomon became king. And it's a very intriguing story with intrigue, and we'll get to that next week. But right here, the chronicler is just recording that David made his son Solomon king over Israel. And so... David then gathered all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Okay, so you see two different structures here, three different structures within Israeli culture and society at that time. So you have the leaders, the military leaders, the elders, and you have the priests who serve in the tabernacle, and then you have the Levites who also serve in ministering in the tabernacle for what the priests need but they also are throughout all of Israel. So he has all of them there. Now the number of the Levite males that were 30 years old and older were 38,000. It also will tell you that David didn't record how many were younger than that because he was afraid because of the census. But basically they're listing the age of those who are 30 and older Males, and there are about 38,000 of them. This is all in chapter 23. Now, David then structured the Levites according to their appointed service of the Lord in the temple. So, what follows then for a vast majority of this section of scripture is the listing of the different clans within the tribe of Levi, their family units, and then how David and what David did in appointing them to serve in roles with regards to the worship of Israel. In fact, you will see that he has musicians and so forth. Now, all of this is important because this is all important for what is going to take place with regards to the service of the temple later on and the worship within the temple. David is structuring this all out. This is amazing that he's doing that. And why is he doing that? He's setting in motion and setting in place what Solomon will need to institute later when the temple is built. You don't just build a temple and you say, oh, how are we going to structure the worship of this? Solomon didn't need to worry about that because it was already done by his father. Done by his father. Now, then we come to chapter 27, and chapter 27 is going to focus then on the structuring of the military and the government. So the chronicler records how David structured the leadership of the armies of Israel. When we talk about the armies, what do you mean by armies? Isn't it just one army? Well, no. You're talking about the armies of the 11 tribes. You have the 10 tribes, you have Benjamin, you have Judah, Oftentimes, you will see Israel and Judah. Oftentimes, you'll see Israel, Judah, and Benjamin. Each are distinguished there. But he records how David structured the leadership of the armies of Israel in chapter 27. The latter part of 27 then focuses, records the structure of David's government after the taking of the census. We've seen this before already. In Samuel, as well as in Chronicles, at different points, it lists the structure and who holds what office and who holds what role in the kingdom. And again, we're seeing that here in Chronicles in the last part. The chronicler is wanting us to make note of that. Well, that brings us to chapter 28 and really the first portion of chapter 29. And what we're going to see here is David's farewell. David is going to address the nation, the leaders of the nation, and basically give his closing farewell of what needs to take place here. And we can divide this farewell into four different parts, okay? Four different parts. So, first of all, in his farewell address, he's going to talk about his desire once again for the temple. So, after calling together the leaders of Israel, David gave an account concerning his desire. So again, he's going to talk about this desire that has been on his heart for years to build the God of Israel a temple. Cuz remember what he said in Samuel, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Lord God of Israel dwells in a tent. Remember the Lord said, I didn't ask for a house of cedar, I've always dwelt in the midst of the people in a tent. Well, he's giving an account of that. He goes on and he expressed that the Lord chose Solomon to build his temple. He's letting them know right off the bat, this isn't Solomon's wish. This isn't some whim from my son. This isn't my whim. God, in all those years before, chose Solomon to build his temple. The Lord chose Solomon. Well, here's what I want you to to see here is that the Lord expressed that Israel must seek out the commandments to prosper. So in saying, if you look at the passage, in saying that Solomon was to be the one who would build the temple, the Lord also expressed that he, David, Solomon, Israel must continue to seek out the commandments in order for them to prosper in the land. So you see a connection again. Obedience leads to prosperity. That goes all the way back to the Mosaic covenant, goes all the way back to the law in the Deuteronomic issues that were brought up there. You know, if you do right, you'll prosper. And you see that being expressed here again as well. The next part is David then gives the plans for the temple. We see that in verses 11 through 21. So David gave Solomon the plans and the organizational structure for the temple. So he's giving Solomon everything he needs. He's giving him the plans. He's giving them the organization as far as the structure for the temple. So everything is laid out there. David has spent his time. He has written this, but here's what I want you to see. David acknowledged that the Lord gave him understanding in writing the plans. Now, this is very important. When you talk about Solomon's temple, we oftentimes give credit to Solomon in his building it, And sometimes we even give him credit in the design of it because the scripture records that there was no other temple like it. In fact, when Israel comes back from the Babylonian captivity and they begin to lay foundation for Zerubbabel's temple, there were those there who were still alive 70 years later who remembered the prior temple and they wept because of the glory of that temple. And we're going to talk about that when we get into 1 Kings. But here's what I want you to see. David is telling us here in chapter 28 that the plans, the design, the structure of everything that has to do with the temple, just like Moses when he wrote out the structure and all of the plans with regards to the tabernacle As with the temple, it came from God. God is the one who told him how to design this because this is where his presence would be and this is how he was to be worshipped. I think that's significant here. Man does not come up with it on his own. That's what the chronicler is pointing out to us here through the words of David. And then also here, what we're going to see then is that David told Solomon to be strong and courageous as the Lord will be with him. Be strong and courageous. You go about this. God's going to do this through you. This is what the Lord wants. He said, you're the one who's going to do it and he's going to give you the strength and the wisdom to carry this out it will be done because the lord god wants it that's what's happening here now i think this is interesting because this is going to this is quite an undertaking you're going to build this temple of stone marble this temple for the lord this is going to require resources So that brings us to the next part of David's really his farewell address. He talks to the leaders about an appeal for offerings. Really? Really? Yeah. He's actually asking for them to make an offering. So here's what he does, though. He expressed that he has given for the building of the temple. So the first part of his address here when he talks about the appeal... He talks about what he has personally done and what he has personally given for the building of the temple. What he has committed from his own personal resources as king, he talks about what he has given for the building of the temple. He then goes on and then called Israel, the leaders of Israel and the people of Israel, to willingly give to the building of the temple and then the text tells you that they agreed to willingly give to the building of the temple that's what he's calling them to he's calling them to give and guess what they did they did they willingly gave so then the last part of this section verses 10 through 20 in chapter 29 he's going to utter a prayer and his prayer can be really divided into several sections we won't read this but let me just kind of go through you what's going on first of all he exalted the lord as the eternal god of israel who provides for the people's needs all right so the first thing he's going to point out is the eternal sovereignty of god and all of his glory he exalts him And he points out that it is God who meets the needs of the people. Next, he offered thanksgiving and praise because the Lord is the giver, the ultimate giver of the gifts for the temple. This is really a powerful lesson about all giving, isn't it? Because first of all, God is the one who provides for our needs, and the gifts that are given to his work and to what he wants us to do. He is the one who is the giver of those gifts, but it's through us. This is what we're seeing here in his prayer. He then concludes that the Lord is the one who made a covenant with the patriarchs, with Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, so to speak. And then David asks that the Lord would continue to bless the nation as the temple is built. God, would you continue to bless the nation, to bless your people as the temple is built? So that brings us to verse 21 then, where we're going to look at the final section of chapter 29, because that then goes back to the issue of David, and really it's a summation statement it's going to give you a summation statement concerning his reign, but also now who his successor is. And we already know who his successor is because David already chose Solomon. Well, here's what I want you to see. When you come to verse 20, 21, David and the leaders blessed the Lord as sacrifices were made in abundance. When you read the scripture, we're not just talking about one bull or one sheep. We're talking about literally a multitude of animals are sacrificed in honor and in worship of God. What we see is here happening. And then it says that David and the leaders feasted before the Lord that day with gladness. So they had a celebration before the Lord because of what he's doing and the desire to build the temple. The leaders then made Solomon the king a second time and anointed him before the Lord. Remember, that's a big thing with them, is that the king was the anointed one. And so here now, before David had made Solomon the king, now the leaders are making him the king. They're affirming the choice of Solomon as king, and they anoint him before the Lord. Now, the scripture goes on. Now, you would say, why does it tell us this? Well, it's telling us this for a reason, okay? Solomon sat on David's throne, and his brothers submitted themselves to him. Now, this is significant, because you have to understand this is a monarchy system. Solomon is not the eldest son. Well, the eldest son, Amnon, is dead. Absalom is dead. But there are other sons who are maybe a little bit older than Solomon. We're going to see that there's another son who feels that he should be king. Well, that's in 1 Kings. We'll save that for that lesson. But here we have Solomon sitting on David's throne now. He's the king. And his brothers, who really could say they have a right to the kingship, they then submit themselves to him. Well, that's going to be expressed more when we get into 1 Kings. It also tells us here that the Lord exalted Solomon as king and bestowed on him majesty not seen before in Israel. There was a majesty about Solomon's kingship that was not seen in Saul, and it was not seen even in David, nor was it seen in any of these other kings that, quote, you know, there was a guy who made himself king in Really, we don't even remember who his name is, but he made himself king in Judges, but we also see Absalom. There was no majesty, and even in those, and even in David, to be compared to the majesty that was bestowed on Solomon by the Lord. Well, then the final part, the final few verses of Chronicles here really focuses again on David. So David reigned over Israel for 40 years, and he died in a good old age. Basically, he died because he was old. He didn't die in battle. He died a good old age. He reigned for 40 years. The text will tell you he reigned seven years as the king of Hebron, the king of Judah, and then he reigned for 33 years as the united king. Remember, because the seven years, there was still a son of Saul, a Shibosheth, who was the king, until he was killed. And then Israel made David king over all Israel. And he ruled for 33 years until his death at a very old age. The chronicler then records the books where the life and acts of David were recorded. Now, we know one of the books that is mentioned, one of the books that is mentioned is right in our scripture, the book of Samuel, which we have divided into two books, 1st and 2nd Samuel, But it also mentions the book of the prophet Gad. We don't have that book. It's not a part of our scripture. But it's referred to here in this passage. And it's basically telling you that all of the life of David and what is recorded there reflects on his life. And we've already seen that Samuel very much includes accounts that are not recorded in Chronicles. And folks... That brings us to the end of 1 Chronicles, and that really brings us to the end of our study, the days of the king, which is about David's life. Next week, we're going to get right in to 1 and 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And where this series was called the days of the king, the next series is going to be called Divided and conquered. Divided and conquered. What do you mean divided? Well, we're going to see that the nation Israel is one under Solomon, but at his death, the nation, because we already see that there's an animosity between the ten northern tribes and the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, we're going to see that the nation divides into two kingdoms and then. 1st and 2nd Kings, 2nd Chronicles really records for us the journey of those two kingdoms where they are defeated and conquered. The northern kingdom conquered by the Assyrians, and then the southern kingdom of Judah, then where David's throne is, is conquered ultimately by the Babylonians. And that's what we're going to see in our next series through 1st and 2nd Kings, And Second Chronicles divided and conquered.